Turn to the book of Jonah. Uh, it's in the wet part of your Bible. The fishy part of your Bible. And as we do so, we're going to be in chapter 3 today. <coughs> and let's ask that the Word of God might dwell in us richly and inform us and lead us and nourish us uh, as we proceed this morning. Let's come together in prayer. Father, You have given us all good things. We are established because of You. We have this day because of You. We gather to exalt You today. To recognize and worship Again, to enter into Your courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. Let us rejoice in this day and be glad in it, for it is Your day. Speak now, Lord. Your Word will nourish us. It will inform us. Let Your Spirit work in conjunction with truth that we might hear You experience Your leading in our lives that we might have a deeper and closer walk with You, Father. Thank You for Your Word. Let it move mightily in our midst. Amen. So, how many of you have ever run a business on your own? Chuck, you used to be a pharmacist in my old hometown. And uh, kind of a crazy thing, I grew up in this city where... I remember back in the day where you had the, the town cinema, right? And it was kind of special. We had this town cinema, the Santa Maria Theater, and next to it was this old style candy shop. And so you used to go as a kid. I mean, this is like right out of Norman Rockwell. And then just look at Chuck and think that he, his pharmacy is right next to it. And you would walk into that pharmacy and here's Chuck standing behind the counter waiting to serve you and, and give you, well, it wasn't candy. It was adult candy, right? <laughs> it was adult candy. And, uh, and so Chuck and I reminisce a little bit about, about those moments. But, you know, we, some of what we reminisce about is that none of that exists now. Have you ever seen businesses that they just didn't make it? They failed. Joe, I hate to say this, but Guitar Center probably isn't going to last much longer. Oh, be still my heart. Because the internet has changed things. Right? How many of you are getting your groceries through Amazon now? Right? You know, pretty soon, people, you, we are so lazy, my friends. My wife and I just saw a commercial where this guy's just sitting on his couch. And he orders with his phone from Taco. He can't even go to Taco Bell and go through the drive-thru. He has to order and have them <coughs> bring it to his house. That's how lazy we've gotten. Now it's amazing because that business model is changing. You have now Uber and Lyft, right? How many of you have ever done an Uber? That's not a drug for those of you who are wondering. It's just transportation. Okay? Um, yeah, yeah, so some of you have, have participated in that. Who was vastly affected by Uber and Lyft? Taxis. Right? 
In business school, we call this the buggy whip problem. Anybody go to business school? You heard this one about the buggy whip? Right? People who invested in companies that manufactured buggy whips, they learned a big lesson. I don't know why they chose this one, but this is the one that they choose at the beginning of your business classes, talking about future-proofing. That's a term we have now, right? How many of you used to have that Bluetooth headset? Right? Where is that now? That thing's gone. But you know, some of the companies that, that manufactured those, they're still around. What did they do? They restructured. They restructured. Why? Because they had to to survive. And so sometimes what we'll see in the news is that corporations are doing layoffs and, and they're moving to different countries because they can't afford to do this or that or the other and, and everybody breathe easy. I'm not going to get into the politics here, okay? But the idea is if you want to survive as a company, you have to what? You have to restructure. I learned this last night as I'm getting ready to come and, and come into the office and, uh, and, and do final details for the message and I'm working on things and you know, I just thought, okay, I don't feel really good and so I'm just going to stay at home, lay low for a while. I was here in the morning through mid-afternoon and then went home and watched the Warrior game with my wife and that one turned out okay. Um, but then my wife helped restructure my diet so that I would survive today. And I will tell you, I really believe that I'm here by number one, God's providence. Number two, homemade chicken soup. Oh no, no, it gets better, right? Because we think how medicinal, we don't know why, but God just made chicken soup to fix our colds, right? And so um, I didn't know whether to call her mom or wife when she brought it to me. But it got better, because then she made chocolate chip cookies, which everybody knows that really fixes a bad cold. And so I started taking all these medications, because I had to restructure how my body was working. I needed to still breathe. So how many of you are doing the airborne, the NRC? emergency yeah y'all know this stuff how many do the honey how many do the echinacea how many do the zinc berry right my wife gives them all to me every single one of them just throw this down your throat just throw this down your throat right and it's just like restructuring man when you get to a point where things are bad really bad really desperate you got to restructure this is where Nineveh was this is where Nineveh was. Let's look at the text this morning. Turn to three. We're in four verses. The magnitude of that. Six through ten. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way 
and from the violence that is in His hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. I love that statement. Who knows? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster and He had said that He said He would do to them and He did not do it. What's fascinating is if you go back earlier in the chapter, Jonah arrives in Nineveh and he does his proclamation and he finds Ares. Nineveh was such a huge city it took three days to walk across it. And so Jonah got the Chamber of Commerce uh, pamphlet about, you know, you are here and these are popular spots. And so he went and he hit the popular spots. And he would stand at those popular spots at popular times of the day, right? In and out during the hours of 11.30 to, say, 2 p.m. and then probably 11.30 at night till 2 p.m. in the morning. Popular time for in and out. Jonah would have been there. And so he does that and he gets this proclamation out to the entire city. He does his part. He finally obeys. Now, he's fulfilled his role with the Lord. Now it is for God to go to work. It is not up to Jonah to turn the king. It is not up to Jonah to turn the people from their evil ways. Here's what's fascinating. Jonah in his statement did not say, you need to turn from your evil ways. You need to come correct with God and He will keep you from perishing. And He will gather you unto Himself like a hen with her chicks. And promised in heaven is a neighborhood next to the Ishams. And it'll be great. You'll love it. None of that existed. It was this simple. God is going to destroy you in 40 days. Not a great message. Now, have you ever gotten to a point in your spiritual walk or your efforts to understand the Lord where you're saying, I just didn't get enough. I didn't receive enough. You know what's fascinating is you have this illustration that Jonah does exactly what he's supposed to say. If I'm the one going and I'm saying, okay, you had me go through all of this so that the people will repent, aren't we a little short on message? He never said, repent. He didn't even say that. He just said, hey, you guys got four. I think that probably played well for Jonah, right? With his attitude. Hey, (laughs) excuse me. Yeah, go ahead and mute this. You got 40 days. That's it. It's one of the few times we see in Scripture when we get to the end today, we're going to look real quickly at another situation. This similar, Exodus 32, where God's people betrayed God. And it says He was going to utterly destroy them. Well, we're here. He didn't utterly destroy them, so what happened? There was restructuring. There was restructuring. Let's think about this. A business that fails to restructure in light of paradigm shifts is the business that now only exists 
as historical work study of failure. Is that what you're driving for? Maybe it's your own business that you've got. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's your walk with the Lord. None of us want to fail. Hopefully. None of us want to fail. I want you to see this morning, there's, there's a myriad of different ways to take what we're looking at in these four verses and apply them. Today I'm just going to use this idea of something that's common in our thought that we see all around us, how businesses will make drastic changes in order that they might survive. Do you get the correlation? And that's really what we should pull from the Scripture today is that a, an incredibly evil people not just evil in the eyes of the Lord, not just evil according to the Scriptures. History talks about how evil these people were. They made the Nazis look like Boy Scouts. Now, why redeem such a people? Because evil is evil. And Scripture talks about how that same sin resides in my heart. How that same sin resides in all people's hearts. And the beauty of this passage is to look and see and examine the character of God. That He is willing to go to great lengths. And by the way, it doesn't take a long thought out explanation. Because you heard what happened. The people repented the people went all in in trying to make sure whether it was the king himself, whether it was the people, or did you catch it? They put sackcloth on the animals as well. That was kind of a common thing in that day. Another thing that, that historians tell us about what would happen in a situation like this is if <coughs> there was eminent threat, they would hide the king. So the king that you see here actually probably isn't the king. The king would have gone into hiding. This was one of his lackeys. And yet, it was through this individual's leadership that an entire people were spared. Let's look at some of this this morning. What are the requirements for survival? Well, number one, the word reached the king. The word reached the king. What was the word? Here's what's fascinating is we spent some time in, in the Scriptures this morning in our ABF talking about the meaning of meaning. How powerful are the Scriptures? And sometimes they're a little challenging to understand. Amen? But they can be understood. Our capacity to understand God the way that we need to understand God, understanding that we are finite, trying to understand an infinite God, we have enough for what we need to honor Him, to exalt Him, to worship Him, to come into relationship with Him. Amen? Now what's fascinating is these individuals that were seen as the worst of the worst of the worst, they didn't get a long discourse, did they? This was not their God. Their God was, at that time was a God named Marduk. You saw it in the Lego movie last week, right? As they beat it down in the, in the town square. They did not know this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what's interesting 
is that the Word reached the King. Now, when we're taking the Word of God to individuals around us, sometimes we stress about saying anything because we what? We feel inadequate. We don't really feel like we can give enough. <coughs> that we, <coughs> we can adequately explain all the finite details. I'm your pastor. I'm here to tell you that I struggle with trying. If you just had been in the class last hour, you would have understood that clearly. I struggle to help you clearly understand. There's incredible depth and brevity within the pages of Scripture. But, what do we see? A simple warning. Here's what I want you to understand on this point. The Word reached the King. What Word? <coughs> God will destroy you in 40 days. That's not a great word. Not a great word. What do you think that says to a king and a people that are very base in how they act and in how they react to people around them? My feeling on this is there may be other things we're not fully aware of, but this is what we're told. My feeling is very simple. When you're talking to someone who is brutal, maybe talking in brutal terms speaks to them very clearly. Isn't it amazing how when God spoke to you, He understood who you are? Some of you have gone through a litany of, of study and rationalization and, and coming to understand the, the nuances of, of who God is. Some of you it was this moment this moment where God just made himself so incredibly real but for all of us it was a statement of faith for those who believe but the process is often different and I think that's unique and that's that's incredibly special about who God is is that God knows how to reach all of us with our little proclivities nuances and habits and how we all think. And so he brought a brutal word to a brutal king. And guess what? He took him very serious. You don't have to give a long litany of, of here's how you do this, 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 and this, and this. Because this civilization understood what you did. How do we know that? Well, let's keep going and we'll see. Well, we see in the next part, after the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Have you ever done this? I've not. It is amazing when you run into some people who know the Lord that don't dress like we do, that don't speak like we do, but we're humbled at the obvious understanding of who God is. One of my mentors, Dr. Cook, he's been all over the world. He's been in some of those places you only hear about about missions, right? Jungles, spears, torches, headhunters, things like that. And he's back in some very, very deep recesses of unreached people. And his testimony is this, as he got into those points with his father, 
and they shared Christ, and they said, oh, we know Him. He said, no, 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 let me explain this again, because I know, I know you're pantheists, you know, let me explain who Christ is. Oh, no, we know Him. How can you know Him? We haven't brought that word to you. You cannot know Him. Look, Dr. Cook is a stickler for accuracy. And he hasn't told me the whole story, but he said, you know what? They knew him. And he was humbled. Absolutely humbled. So often we think we corner the market on what it means to go through repentance or restructuring. Boy, this guy, this king, these peoples left nothing alone turned over everything because they knew what was at stake. Practiced humility, which would have been the opposite of what it meant to be a Ninevite. What is repentance? You're seeing repentance in action without using the word repentance. Are you not? Repentance is to do the exact opposite of what you were doing. And this is what the leader demonstrates. The leader demonstrates this act of humility. He leads, leads his people in this. And so that would be the next point, is that leadership saves the day. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. So we're going to fast. Let them not feed or drink water. We're, we're going to abstain from water. But, so we're going to be as complete as we can here to send a message to this God. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. So it's not enough to abstain from water. It's not enough to sacrifice food. Now we're going to cover ourselves with the most humble uh, thing that you could wear. It's uncomfortable. Sackcloth is scratchy. You would never wear it around as a fashion... St- well, I mean, they might now. I don't know. And he says this, And let them call out mightily to God. Demonstrate first humility. I will show you what that looks like. These are the particulars of how we will do this. Every man, every beast, everyone will do this. Not only will you do this, you are going to call out. And not in a passive tone. Oh, Jesus, I think, I think you're great. I think you're fantastic. The best illustration I've ever seen of this. And you know, sometimes you wonder, why do pastors talk about movies? Because sometimes you, you know, it, I can pull this all together in, in that, if you've seen this. You probably haven't. It's a Christmas classic called Fred Claus. Anybody seen Fred Claus? Oh, it's right up there. It's one of the most beautiful things. But uh, James Kahn is a dad who's immersed in New York City with publishing, and he's not paying attention to his family. There's a crisis because there's no... Oh, this is Elf. Oh, I mixed it up. Oh, Elf. (laughs) They're all the classics. And so, yeah, at the end of Elf, they're all standing in the park, right? And they're supposed to be singing this song for Christmas spirit. (coughs) And the sleigh's still not getting there. Still not getting there. (coughs) One person not singing. 
And the kid looks up at his dad, and the dad's like, you're not singing. Yes, I am singing. I am singing. No, you're not. And, and then he just burst out, and all of a sudden, and I, it always bugged me. It's like, really? Just one guy? One guy? It's amazing when you think about it in other terms. You can have a whole group heading in a direction, but one person can throw you off. One person can throw you off. And so the king is communicating, right? Leadership communicates the plan. And he says, there's no room for ambiguity, folks. We're all doing this. We're all heading in this direction because of what's at stake. To a man, to an animal, to a goat. We're doing this. And not just the demonstration of humility, but you will call out mightily. You will scream at the top of your lungs to that God. Who knows? Maybe He will relent. And so leadership communicates the plan. You know, there's challenges in leadership today. We have a society that doesn't really like leadership. And yet, we have to have leaders, do we not? What happens when there is no leader? There's failure. What happens when you have a bad leader? There's bad failure. But there still needs to be a leader. What happens when you're on a committee? Right? You ever met those people? Like, no, we don't want to give the leadership to one person. We don't want to give... Can you hear it in Nineveh? hey, wait a minute, who is this guy? He's not actually even the real king. He's just kind of like his puppet. Uh, and he's asking us to do what? i got to take off my what? i got to put on what? i got to call out what? What do we have to do to zippy the goat? What? <laughs> Come on, this guy's not even the real guy. Well, it says right here in this document, this is exactly what we have to do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, if we're really going to do that. Okay? The challenges with that is the leadership left no ambiguity. Zero. But could you imagine Nineveh putting a committee together? <laughs> Being really Baptist about it. We're, we're going we're gonna to form a committee. I just ratted out who's Baptist in here. <laughs> right? I, look, I've been there. I've done that. We're going to form a committee because we don't what? We don't trust an individual. Here's the challenge with that is that God establishes individuals. Please hear me clearly. I also believe in the priesthood of the believer. But a big challenge that we have as individuals in our society is what's called relativism, subjectivism. Where everybody is their own wisdom, guidance, and we've lost respect for leadership. Now, part of the reason is because leadership's done a, a bad job in some cases. But what if you were judged by that same litany? What if every action you did, which was on display for thousands of people, was scrutinized? You think it's going to fit everybody? Of course it isn't. Why? Because of subjectivism. Because everybody has their own approach as to how they would do things. 
Well, if we all have the same equal voice in all of that in Nineveh, we only got 40 days. Do you think the repenting is going to happen in 40 days if we all form committees, we have a town square meeting, we take a vote on this or that or the other? Do you think that, that God is really going to be moved? Listen carefully. The worst of the worst. The leader of the worst of the worst got it right. As bad as he was, as mixed up as he was, his leadership rallied a people and a society together to the point where God relented. There's something to be learned in that. Who knew? Uncharted waters speak to basic instinct. Sometimes when we don't have a clear answer, because nothing was given to this leader, was it? Hey, if you do this, 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 and this, you're going to be all right. That wasn't handed to him. Sometimes in our lives, we have to make choices. We have to make decisions. We just don't know if this is going to work. It's ambivalent. We don't know if it's God's will. We don't know if it's against His will. But what we do know is it, 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 it's problematic just to sit there and do nothing. Right? Who knew? Uncharted waters speak to basic instinct. When you get into territory that you're just not sure of, you know, our basic instinct, I think for most people, says we're going to go one way or the other. Great real story about a guy down in Orange County. I think it was in the 70s. <laughs> this was great. <coughs> this guy, I don't know. I don't know. I, I could see myself doing this. That's why I'm laughing. He gets a lawn chair. You know, the ones with the rubber straps. And the, the long one, Right? with the back that goes all the way up and then, you know so he gets it all and he i think he actually strapped on some coolers with some drinks and a nice sandwich and and then he got a bunch of weather balloons and he inflated all these balloons one by one by one by one by one and pretty soon he's got liftoff right so his plan was to take his bb gun and he was going to shoot the the balloons when he got too high the problem was when it actually took off, it went faster than he anticipated. And the thought of shooting a balloon, he didn't know uncharted waters. This might drop me faster than I think. So what happened? LAX, the radio tower at LAX got a, re a, a recording or a message from an airline pilot from Delta saying... Um, uh, tower, whatever, such and such, I promise I have not been drinking. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but I'm at like, I think he was like at 18,000 feet. He was in the flight line. I'm at 18,000 feet, and I just had a guy sitting in a lawn chair with balloons pass by me with a cooler. <laughs> Basic instinct. He had a plan, but when it started going too fast, he's like, no, I'm not going to shoot. Now, the great part of the story is eventually those weather balloons cooled down, and he just softly landed somewhere, and then he got arrested. <laughs> End of story. Who knew? Look, folks, there are some things we don't want to test God on. But look at what he is saying. I don't know. This is a statement of faith, right? It's a statement of faith by the worst of the worst. Who knew? 
But one thing this king was not going to do is sit and do nothing. Why do I say that? Because this guy in the lawn chair, when asked and interviewed by the news, they said, what would compel you to do that? His statement was, well, you can't just sit there. You can't just sit. With, there's some irony in that statement, right? <laughs> Last point today. Nineveh is spared. The people recognize and worship God for who he is. Now, what is the total end of the story? It doesn't last very long because eventually the Assyrians are now again at war with God. Happens because leaders change. But this group at this time repented, demonstrated a beautiful essence of no holds barred repentance. Are we there? Are we there? I think God would try to send us a message through someone like Jonah to say, you got 40 days. You got 40 days. And the reason I'm coming to you is because you're not listening. You're not invested anymore. You're more concerned about this. You're more concerned about that. You're more wrapped up into these things. We have a... I'm I'm going to get real... I'm just going to manipulate the stink out of this point right now. You ready? We have a men's breakfast next week. And then right after that, we have a men's activity with chainsaws. I'll guarantee you, a bunch of our men will find reasons why not to be here. I'll guarantee you. Ouch. Now, does it, how much does that matter to me? I, I don't care. Well, I, I'll run into the tree and it'll fall over. Well, we'll take care of that one way or the other. But the point is this. One of the reasons is, is because we're not invested so much in what God is doing. What's happening to churches all over the United States, I just shared this with the elders Thursday night, Western Europe is now here. There are pastors, there are scholars, there are biblical leaders in this land right now that are starting to write books about it because they're watching it. People no longer care about being part of the church. They're doing their own thing. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own what? His own way. We will find reasons to do something else. And the church is going to go through a massive change in the next decade in America. Why? Because some things just never change, brothers and sisters. Look at your Old Testament, look at your New Testament, and look at who people are. And there are moments where we, we repent like the king of Nineveh. We get it right. But then something comes along just like Nineveh, and we lose track again. Because everybody's barking for your time. Everybody's barking for your resources. The question is, maybe we've got 40 days. Are we ready to restructure so we not only survive, but that we thrive? Let me close today in giving you some encouragement. God is the bellwether of compassion and mercy 
preferred over deserved wrath. Do you know what the bellwether is? This idea of the cow or the... I thought I'd use this because it works with Nineveh, right? The cow or the sheep, whatever, the lead one, the one that stands out in the pack, the one that kind of everybody else follows, the shepherd ties a bell around that neck. And usually it's the animal that will listen to the shepherd. And so what happens is the shepherd speaks, whistles, clicks, hands out a Scooby snack, whatever it would be, and that lead bellwether animal comes. And what happens is the rest, because he's earned it, the rest of the animals follow. God is the bellwether of compassion and mercy, preferred over deserved wrath. In closing this morning, I want to leave you with this. The person that succeeds in throwing off everything that so easily entangles is the person that thrives spiritually, regardless of trends, feelings, or criticism. Why on earth would this king be willing to listen to Jonah? There was no reason except that God worked in his heart. Can I tell you right now that seeing these things happen, seeing God work in the most tremendous ways provides such inspiration. I'm overwhelmed to be part of this church, this body. I've been praying for three years that we would see something happen. A trend. That unfortunately doesn't happen in a lot of churches. A lot of churches it does. But churches that have listened to other trends, churches that have concerned themselves about the periphery, not the things of God. How do you measure who knows? Who knows? How do you measure if Nineveh was acceptable? There was no wrath. God turned from what He said was coming because of obedience and humility. And I said earlier, talking about the, the challenge of Jonah going and taking that message and laying it, very simply, just laying it. And I, I, again, as Jonah, I would look at it and say, not a real good complete message, God, if you want repentance. But he knows what he's doing. And I know it's hard for us. Look at what God has done in your life. Look at what the grace of the Gospel and the mercy of the Gospel has done in your own life. Forget the other things. Be about that, and that will drive you to be like Jonah and share the brilliance of God. Many of you know what these lights are behind me. Did you notice when you walked in how they looked? Record-breaking. So these lights on our stage, are they're not because we want to be hip and cool. I mean, we are hip and cool, but... They are there representing new believers in Christ that the light of Christ has come into their life. The way that it qualifies to be turned on is if an individual who comes into that light of relationship with Christ and that step of faith, that happens through some kind of ministry here at, at Conquer Bible Church. For the most part, 
For three years now, we've had that up there, and every year, praise God, all ten have been lit by the end of the year. Can't control the message, can't manipulate the message. It's God that does the work, just like within the king, right? Just like with the people of Nineveh. But it took someone bringing that message. My prayer has been to double down on what happens with that so that there's a joy, there's a beautiful experience that you see. That you're freed up from, from all the shackles that hold us down. What was the last statement? That we throw off everything that so easily entangles us. And we run the race out of Hebrews 12. We run the race marked before us. And so many of the lights that we praise God over that we've seen lit over the years have happened because of special events like an Easter program or because of Lifetime Summer Day Camp or because of VBS, which is fantastic. But what that does is it relegates that joy and that experience to very few people when all of you have that opportunity. So I pray for the impossible. I pray that the Spirit leads you to talk to people I would never see. We just lit four lights in one Sunday. All four happened because of people having conversations about Christ. Being Jonah. When maybe they didn't really want to be. And somewhere in that discussion, the individual says, who knows? But yeah, you're right. I probably need to restructure my life. And that faith is lit. That's tremendous, is it not? We look at what happens with this story and, and we should be amazed. Because the impossible happened. With what? The Word. And what was that Word? Almost straight out of Poltergeist, the original movie. Y'all gonna die in there. <laughs> Creepiest thing I ever heard. <laughs> but, but, but think about it. That's all Jonah said. You got 40 days, that's it. Easy message, I'm out, God. That might be why like, he's thinking, there's no way they could put the dots together on that one. So yeah, I'm going to go sit up on this hill and, and wait you know, 39 more days and watch destruction happen. Little did he count on an unsuspecting soul to seek the Almighty. Let me close in prayer. Father, You are the grantor of all good things. You move beyond our understanding. And in our own lives, Father, we may need to restructure. We may need to have the zeal of this King so that we throw off everything that so easily entangles, that we might run the race that is marked before us, that we might truly exalt You. Let us examine our lives and make decisions for You. Thank You, Lord God. Walk with us. Let us walk with You in harmony, in grace. Let us exalt You with our lives. And let Your Word speak to us as powerfully as it did to that King that day. That we might take action and not just be mere listeners, but doers of the Word. We pray these things according to the plan of the Father.
the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.